0: The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Long pause for the theme song, and then I say... Welcome to the Everett Book Club. We are a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremelo, and I own and operate a failing franchise of disco bowling alleys.
0: And my name is Marguerite, and I hate bowling.
1: Rightfully so. Together we travel the world administering Turing tests, and this week we are in the city of New Calamity in rural Cambodia.
0: One little-known fact about New Calamity Cambodia is that for 300 years, it's been ruled by a family of royal purebred house cats.
1: That's right, Marguerite. And the current king of cats rules with an iron fist.
0: His laws are based on his moods, and his moods are capricious and vain.
1: But the king's labyrinth really makes for a great tourist destination.
0: As long as you don't fall in.
1: You mean as long as you don't push me. But we're not here today to talk about accidental homicide on vacation, because we're actually here to talk about a short story called The Jester by William Tenn from
0: 1951. Ooh, 51. This shouldn't be sexist at
1: all. It probably won't be, as you (laughs) could guess from the time in which it was written. (laughs) Today's episode comes from a short story collection called Selections from Science Fiction Thinking Machines, edited by Groff Conklin. Definitely a real name. And Marguerite, would you be so kind as to describe the cover for our listeners?
0: All right. So the background is an orangey red, and there is a a spaceship that kind of looks like a fish. And an alien on the bottom who is...
1: Possibly a robot.
0: Yeah, possibly a robot. And then some kind of mm, contraption.
1: It's extremely surreal, and I kind of like it. You would. So today's story takes place in the glorious future, in the year 2208, where robots help humanity in every capacity plausible, (laughs) except for a few. Hmm. And one of those capacities in which they do not yet help humanity is the subject of today's story, the jester. Humor? You guessed it. So we get to the first lines of the story, The Jester by William Tenn. Nobody has said yet that little oaks from great acorns grow. They do. (laughs) Instead of a helicopter accident, history can happen to people. What? And cause even more damage.
0: So it's one or the other. History or a helicopter accident?
1: Correct. (laughs) One fine day about the year 2208, say, a bright, cheerful, and maybe too smart for his own good young man wakes Mm. up to find... He tripped over his own cleverest idea and crashed into a brand new age. Sure. And so we open upon a brief dissertation about the growth of the robotics industry, which begins in the past with record players and transitions to electric doorbells.
0: Ooh, that's quite a transition.
1: And moves to dictaphones and mechanical sorting machines that revolutionized modern offices. (laughs) Soon after that, quote, Every bride dreamed of owning a Vocalex kitchen someday (laughs) that would exactly obey her most casual command to heat up a roast for such-and-such time and baste it at such-and-such intervals.
0: Ugh, leaves her more time for drinking.
1: (laughs) Nice. And soon after that, 3D TV finally arrives. Oh. Uh, Also known as Teladar.
0: Ooh, does it also smell
1: It is not stated, but I could only assume so. And soon after Teladar arrived at last at the age of robots where rocket ships are piloted by computers that fly to every planet in the solar system and quote everyone agreed that man could hardly ask for more control over his environment hardly and so we come to the year 2208 at last where the doorbell rings and the camera on the door shows a mechanic from Rolgues Robot Reorganizers.
0: <laughs> That's a real name that rolls off your tongue.
1: And a delivery man who says, quote, I have your butler valet combo here, all fitted with the special custom built adjustments you ordered.
0: Oh, so in the future, uh, the delivery people actually wait for you to come to the door instead of just leaving your shit on your front porch?
1: Well, this is Rolg's Robot Reorganizers. And thus we meet our main character Lester, a television comedian known as lester the jester
0: Ugh, i don't like him already
1: the delivery man fawns over lester for a few sentences saying wait till i tell my wife i met the biggest comedian in telidar
0: mm. so comedians are like important in the future
1: well just as important as now he's famous but when the delivery man calls our comedian mr lester lester corrects him saying it's not mister it's lester the jester the delivery man goes on to say that, quote, when the boys at the shop heard that Lester wanted his robot butler to be programmed with a sense of humor, they assumed that to the robot would become Lester's new comedy writer. <laughs> but our faithful delivery man, who was a fan of Lester, corrected them, saying, no, Lester's known for only doing ad-lib comedy. He'd never need a robot gag writer. Never. And Lester laughs at the thought. And then dismisses the notion with statements such as, imagine that, and such a thing.
0: Such a thing.
1: Saying only that he thought, quote, it'd be snappy for the Hemisphere's top comedian to have a robot valet who can give gags on demand.
0: That sounds horrible.
1: When Lester asks to see his robot butler, the robot explodes out of the box. Not because the robot's turned on, because that's how the box is created.
0: (laughs) That's how, things unpack themselves? Yeah,
1: they unpack themselves explosively. (laughs) And we meet a purple, pear-shaped metal man, five feet tall. Lester immediately protests, saying that his butler was cylindrical before going to the shop.
0: Mm. Not
1: pear-shaped. And the delivery man explains that the extra torso space was required in order to fit in all the jokes.
0: Oh, really? Jokes take up a lot of room.
1: As well as the capacity to invent new jokes based on the formulas from the old ones. They turn on the robot butler with an iridium key that goes into a slot at the back of its neck. And once powered up, the delivery man says, quote, I've never seen such a snooty expression on any face before. <sighs> Lester explains that the face was modeled off the stereotypical British butler. Huh. And designed by his fiance, Josephine Lissy, an actress on his Teledar show. <laughs> Lester asks his robot butler, whose name is Rupert, to tell a joke. And Rupert begins telling a long joke-slash-story about the extremely contemporary beat poet Allen Ginsberg, who is on his first voyage to Mars.
0: Nothing like contemporary humor.
1: Yes, in the year 2208, of course go-to humor would be someone like Allen Ginsberg. Of course. The joke is fortunately interrupted by the delivery man, however, who explains that a Mason filter was installed to help Rupert differentiate between the laugh power of various jokes, which will help him in front of audiences. Learn as you go. Lester mutters a bit about how Rupert will teach some lessons to comedy writers he knows. Specifically, Green and Anderson.
0: Hmm, his nemesis.
1: Then he repeats that it's a shame that Rupert is so pear-shaped. <laughs> Why? You know, because he used to be so svelte and cylindrical. The delivery man counters that they could have kept Rupert in his original cylindrical shape If only Lester hadn't been in such a hurry and insisted on having Rupert ready by Wednesday. Oh, well, there you go. A.K.A. Today. So Lester signs a release form stating that he's legally responsible for all of Rupert's actions because he is the robot's owner. Seems fair. That's how it works in this particular future. There are no laws of robotics around here. Nope. And Rupert, the robot, at last finishes his joke about Allen Ginsberg by declaring, Ginsberg, the Frenchman said, then there's a sound. And Lester practically jumps in the air shouting, holy atomics, what's that? (laughs) The robot, standing perfectly immobile, was clacking wildly, grinding his gears, and pinging wires as if he was coming apart.
0: Is that his laughter?
1: The delivery man explains that it's a bug the text didn't have time to clean up, but it's basically robot laughter. You called it.
0: That'd be so annoying.
1: Lester shivers at the sound of robot laughter.
0: It's so uncanny.
1: Then instructs Rupert to make him a drink, a three-ply lunar landing.
0: Ooh, what's in that?
1: Why don't we search Google?
0: I bet it's not in there.
1: I bet you're right. And it's not a drink. There is such a thing as a moonwalk, though. Ooh. Rupert departs to mix the drink, and Lester tips the delivery man a few bucks and a carton of cigarettes. <laughs> wow,
0: what a wonderful feature.
1: Which were supplied by his sponsor. He offers the man both licorice and maple walnut flavors before the delivery man settles on crab apple. What? Crab apple cigarettes. Oh, wow. When Rupert returns with the drink, Lester downs it in one swig, compliments the robot for his mixology skills.
0: Oh, he couldn't even taste it.
1: And then hands him a script for tonight's Teledar broadcast, tasking him with typing up a companion script with variations on his jokes. Oh. Rupert reads the script in under a minute, then throws it on the floor and heads to a typewriter to complete his task. <laughs> Just then, the video phone rings, and it's Lester's fiancée, Josephine Lissy, calling to say that Lester's secret comedy writers, Green and Anderson,
0: I died in a horrible accident,
1: have actually confessed to Lester's sponsor that they're the writers of all of his jokes.
0: Oh no, why would they do that?
1: Lester flies into a rage, saying he'll sue them. But Josephine points out they didn't make the inflammation public, they just told Lester's sponsor.
0: He didn't make them sign DNRs? He did. No, wait.
1: DNRs.
0: <laughs> what do you call that? Uh,
1: uh, I don't know.
0: Non-disclosure NDR.
1: NDA. NDA. That's the one. Uh, no, he did make them sign an NDA, but apparently just telling the sponsor is, yeah, that's still a violation. Yeah, I would think so. But they did tell Lester's sponsor, a man named Haskell, who wants to see Lester right away, Suddenly, there's an ear-splitting series of clanks, bumps, singing metal, and siren-like shrieks because Rupert the robot is laughing again.
0: That would be very disconcerting. I would not want that robot in my house.
1: I don't blame you there. Alarmed by the sound, Josephine shouts, My sacred aunt's favorite space opera. What's that? (laughs) What the heck? Lester tells her that it's Rupert, and Josephine sees him and is dismayed by how fat he is and how his face turned out, which looks more sad than anything.
0: I thought he was supposed to look like haughty, like snooty.
1: Josephine asks Rupert the robot how he's feeling. And Rupert begins to say Ginsberg, but only gets out the first syllable. When his ankles suddenly clack together and his head starts falling forward all the way down until it hits the floor, cracking Lester's precious antique floor tiles.
0: No, my antique floor tiles!
1: Josephine bursts out laughing while Rupert just stands there, his head against the floor. Lester orders Rupert to stand up and... Josephine realizes that Rupert's center of gravity has been shifted, so he can't get up on his own.
0: Oh, no. This is becoming, like, less and less useful.
1: But says that if he's ever put on Teledar, he'll kill 200 million people. Whoa,
0: murder! Mass murder! With
1: laughter, uh-huh. is implied. Well, Lester helps Rupert up, and finally Rupert decides to make his first official joke, besides the long, rambly, Allen Ginsberg story joke.
0: Ugh, nobody likes a long joke.
1: And he looks at Josephine and says, quote, that ain't no lady, that's gonna be your wife. Or, uh-huh. or, it may not be Hades, but brother, it's gonna be life. What? Or, she's not shady, she only, and that's when Lester interrupts to yell at Rupert to shut up.
0: <laughs> yeah, this, this seems like a terrible idea to begin with.
1: They gave him a sense of humor, but apparently not a good one. Oof. Just then the doorbell rings, so Lester says goodbye to Josephine and goes to the door to discover that the robot Delivery Man has arrived. When he sees the dent in Lester's floor and is told how it happened, he offers to take Rupert back to the factory for recalibration. But Lester doesn't have time, because the Teledar show airs live in two hours.
0: Oh, man.
1: Lester does have time, however, to ask if the word scanner was properly built into Rupert's forehead.
0: The word scanner?
1: And yes, there is a word scanner. You see, by sliding a little screen aside... Uh, sorry. Aside? Aside... It reveals an area where Rupert can display words like a teleprompter.
0: Oh, cool.
1: The delivery man says he came back to get Rupert's master key, which he accidentally left in the slot at the back of his neck.
0: He was in such a hurry to get away from this monster. Yeah.
1: But that's when John Haskell arrives, the head sponsor for tonight's Teledar show. He's described as, quote, a dumpy little man in a striped tunic. And Lester invites him in just as the delivery man's asking Rupert for his master key. Rupert removes the key, and he's handing it across, and then drops it on the ground.
0: And shatters it.
1: The delivery man says he thinks the robot dropped it on purpose. When he bends down to pick it up, Rupert's right hand starts moving, startling the delivery man, who leaps, him. Who leaps back in fear, saying, Did you see what he was trying to do? Lester doesn't notice, however. And Rupert closes the door on the delivery man, mid-sentence. <laughs> wow. Lester orders Rupert to make two lunar landing specials.
0: Two? Jeez.
1: And the sponsor, John Haskell, launches into a lecture saying he didn't know that Lester employed Green and Anderson to be his secret writers.
0: Well, he does now.
1: Let alone that Lester fired Green and Anderson, which is why Haskell's worried about tonight's show.
0: He fired them when before they ratted him out or
1: he after? fired them before, which is why they ratted him out. Because he tells the sponsor that Green and Anderson didn't write original material for him. They only punched up the stuff he wrote. And he fired them because they wanted to get paid more than he did.
0: <laughs> yeah, but they're not the ones delivering said jokes.
1: And ultimately, Rupert is now going to be delivering said jokes. So <laughs> that's why they really got fired.
0: Yep. He he automated their jobs. He outsourced it to a robot.
1: Ugh, I know what that feels like. (laughs) Do you? When Rupert arrives with the drinks, Haskell grabs one and downs it in a single gulp, saying, quote, Not strong enough. Tasteless. Needs stuff. Needs stuff, huh? Lester thinks to himself that he doesn't agree with Haskell, because his drink was ridiculously strong. Huh. Haskell, meanwhile, continues to lecture about how tonight's broadcast is important, because if Lester doesn't get laughs... He won't have his option renewed and will have to go back to the daytime dope operas. Ooh. Lester says he's all ready. Why, just look at this script right here. And he hands over the script that Rupert was working on, which he has yet to read. Haskell reads a bit of the script and starts laughing, then reads some more and declares that it's wonderful and all of his fears are dispelled. Except, can Lester properly memorize it all in time for the broadcast? Yes. And Lester says he can Because he always does, with the help of infrascopolamine. Drugs? Some kind of future drug.
0: Oh, memory drug. I can use one of those.
1: Also, Rupert the Robot will be there, standing just out of camera range. Rupert shows up holding a drink that Haskell takes from his hand, gulping it back in one swig. And while Lester describes how Rupert's teleprompter will help him with any ad-libs he might need, Haskell's face changes color, and he runs to the bathroom to vomit.
0: Oh no! Which one is that again? Haskell. The sponsor. Oh, the sponsor. His robot drugged his sponsor.
1: Lester asks Rupert what was in the drink, and Rupert replies that Haskell asked for something stronger, so the drink was Worcestershire shosh, the essence of red pepper and castor oil.
0: Oh my God!
1: Lester immediately calls nine one one, and they show up surprisingly quick and take Haskell away on a stretcher
0: i think you'd be safe if you ate that stuff drink that stuff
1: i don't know what is castor oil does that go in your oh engine? wait
0: yes castor oil i <laughs> forgot that part <laughs> i need some of that memory drug
1: rupert decides to make his second joke at this point when one of the emergency responders is carrying haskell on the stretcher rupert says to him quote it must have been something he ate
0: oh man this robot's gotta go
1: once they leave lester gets to work memorizing the script when josephine lissy his fiance, pops by Rupert opens the door for her. Then his torso falls over and his head smashes another hole into the floor. Oh, man, these poor
0: floors.
1: (laughs) Lester says he's been doing that all day. And as they watch, Rupert starts making some weird sounds and then spits up a brass hexagonal nut. What the heck? (laughs) When Lester tells Josephine about Haskell and the practical joke Rupert played on him, you know, the poisoning.
0: The hilarious poisoning.
1: Josephine replies, quote, You're lucky your contract has a personal immunity clause. Otherwise, Haskell could sue you from Patagonia to Nome.
0: Wait, what's the clause?
1: A personal immunity clause.
0: What does that entail? How does that work? I
1: think that means that he could do whatever he wants at any time. What? Personal immunity.
0: Comedians get that? That's not fair.
1: In the future. Oh,
0: that's terrifying.
1: But she goes on to say, but he still won't feel any affection for you. Any real affection. He'll probably live, though. (laughs)
0: oh if he lives he's not gonna like you very much
1: josephine says that rupert may be a good writer but he's a pretty shitty butler as evidenced from the mess around the apartment
0: yeah he keeps breaking things he just like tossed his script on the floor
1: suddenly rupert raises his arm stares at josephine and then charges at her what she runs back in fright and rupert starts robot laughing at her another hilarious practical joke
0: Oh, this guy sounds terrible I would not want this person or robot in my house.
1: In response, Josephine slaps Rupert across the face, which ends up breaking her hand in several places.
0: Yeah, that seems quite ineffective. I wouldn't slap a wall.
1: <laughs> Even if that wall charged at you menacingly?
0: Sure, if it was, like, mocking me. <laughs> Even if it was just a cool prank, bro? Just a prank, bro.
1: A doctor stops by to give her a cast, while Lester pesters her to hurry up so they can get to the studio in time. He can leave without her. But Josephine isn't interested in the Teledar show right now. She wants Lester to get rid of Rupert.
0: Yeah, so would I.
1: Saying that she would never want to raise children in a home where Rupert lives.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, oh, I flushed your kid down the toilet, just a prank, bro.
1: (laughs) Just a prank. And robot laws say that Rupert has to live with Lester since Lester is his owner. Lester responds, quote, But Joe, darling, honey, sweet, do you know what a writer he is?
0: Yeah, but he doesn't do the rest of his job, and he also threatens people. (laughs) Violence.
1: Josephine tells him that it's either her or Rupert. Lester thinks for a moment before, quote, Well, Lester told Joe at last, we can still be good friends.
0: Oh, wow. He needs a writer
1: more than he needs a wife.
0: Oh, that's terrible. Can he have, like, sex with that robot?
1: I don't think he'd want to.
0: No, he that robot seems like it would just get violent or
1: go to yeah, town on him. Nobody
0: wants someone to pull a prank on you mid-sex. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and so we cut to the Teledar Studio where Josephine is on camera singing a song. As she walks off stage, she ignores Lester completely. And as they cut to commercial, Lester stations Rupert off camera where his teleprompter can easily be seen. For the sake of brevity, I've decided to include the commercial jingle that appears halfway through the program for Stargazer's Cigarettes. Mm. Whose lyrics state, S-G-F-F-C, Stargazer's 15 Flavored Cigarettes. Day away from tastes like hay. Days are gay with nasal play. <laughs> what? Stargazer's 15 Flavored Way. S-G-F-F-C, From Chocolate to Cherry. Oh. Stargazer cigarettes, 15 different flavors. Oh, man. At last, the Teledar show segues to a comedy skit, a comedic romance set on a fueling station on Phobos. So hilarious. Lester is described as being extraneous to the main plot, although he's needed to throw in ad-libbed humor every now and again. Lester glances at Rupert from time to time and is annoyed that the robot isn't always facing the stage because he keeps getting distracted.
0: Oh, man. This robot's terrible. They probably should have finished it before they gave it to him.
1: Yeah, he could have just waited an extra week.
0: Yeah, he could have ad-libbed for one episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, the main actress forgets her lines, which forces Lester to jump in with a joke to fill the silence. Lines appear on Rupert's teleprompter, and Lester reads them, saying, quote, Say, Barbara, why don't you tell the station manager to switch from atomics to petroleum? Barbara says, I don't know. Why should he switch from atomics to petroleum? And Lester says, because there's no fuel like an oil fuel. I have no idea it's a joke, though.
0: Ah, huh, hilarious.
1: In the 1950s, they would have understood. I mean the 2208s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the studio guffaws, as does Rupert himself. And Lester thinks that that was a far more sophisticated joke than anything Green and Anderson could write. Oh, well. No wonder they got fired.
0: Yeah, jeez. If that was a better joke than what Green and Anderson were writing.
1: Then Lester's filled with jealousy, realizing that people aren't laughing at him.
0: They weren't before.
1: They're laughing at Rupert's joke.
0: Yeah, but they were laughing at Anderson and Green's jokes before.
1: Well, Lester is a small man, so he doesn't think like that. When the skit ends and the camera's cut to Josephine and the orchestra for another song, Lester forces Rupert to go to the studio control room and stay there. Rupert looks depressed as he watches out the window. In the next comedy skit, he offers several jokes on his teleprompter that Lester ignores. <laughs> Suddenly it's time for another commercial, brought to you by Stargazer Cigarettes.
0: The only corporation in this galaxy. That's
1: allowed to exist, by law. And that's the moment that Rupert forces everyone out of the control room, and locks the door, and starts making jokes live over the air.
0: What? Oh, seriously. There's so many signs this robot's not a good robot.
1: Quote, you know why they call them Stargazers, don't you? One puff and you're flat on your back. Oh wow. <laughs> Insert robot laughter here.
0: Wah, wah, wah.
1: Yes sir, you see stars alright, all colors. You smoke them and novas go off in your head. <laughs> Insert robot laughter here. Wow. Fifteen flavors and all of them worth a raspberry. What? More robot laughter. Wow. <laughs> Josephine comforts Lester while he moans that his career is gonna be over.
0: Do you think that those jokes were funny to the people reading this book in the 1950s?
1: Well, the author William Tenn is known for his sense of humor, so yes. Is he? According to Wikipedia, he is. Oh, really? If that counts as a valid source. I guess.
0: (laughs) I mean, Wikipedia did tell me that Jeremy Renner was a velociraptor, so I will definitely believe Wikipedia. I
1: don't blame you. Lester is whining and saying, quote, I don't know how to do anything else. I have no other skills, no other experience. I'm through for life, Joe.
0: Or I could just be a comedian somewhere else.
1: And because it's the 23rd century and design is poor, quote, the engineers finally had to shut off all power in Teledar City.
0: In the whole city?
1: (laughs) To take him off the air, yes. Oh. That meant all broadcasting stopped, including messages to spaceships and emergency calls to craft on the ground. This is
0: a terrible system.
1: And when the radiant power is turned off, Rupert also powers down.
0: Ugh thank goodness and
1: thus the climax of our story is complete and we reach the final paragraphs delivering a happy epilogue Uh which begins quote so lester married joe but he didn't live happily ever after he was barred from teledar for life (laughs) oh no fortunately however lester doesn't starve because rupert is a star People loved hearing Rupert make fun of Stargazer cigarettes, and somehow Stargazer's sales tripled thanks to Rupert's roasting.
0: Oh, so Rupert becomes a troll.
1: He's dubbed Rupert the Rollicking Robot, and he's given the tagline, the screwiest piece of machinery since the invention of the nut. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. And thanks to robot laws, he has to live with his owner, Lester the former jester.
0: Oh, I hope that they like cemented off a room for him so they couldn't didn't have to interact
1: additionally lester apparently can't sell rupert because if he does he won't have a source of income yeah and so we get to the final lines of our story to summarize everything in the happiest possible way
0: mm-hmm.
1: once a week he visits joe and his children
0: oh he doesn't live with his no, wife he lives just, with the robot she? she was just like no thanks yeah she didn't want to raise kids smart. around that robot smart
1: he looks very haggard then. Rupert's practical jokes get more complicated all the time.
0: <laughs> and and more deadly.
1: In fact, they've gotten so complex that Lester has a couple new names along Teledore Row these days. They call him Lester the Pestered, or Lester the Running, Bleeding Fester. What? Or just plain <laughs> Tisk Tisk.
0: Wow. Clever.
1: And that is how we end The Jester by William Ten.
0: That was terrible.
1: It was wonderful, though. It was an honest glimpse into a possible future. (laughs)
0: Into a wonderfully dystopian future of robot, like, humor robots.
1: They gave him a sense of humor, but not a good sense of humor. That's the problem.
0: You can't give something a sense of humor without a sense of morality, because then you get jackass.
1: (laughs) Well said. William Tenn is a science fiction author who has penned Two novels, but more than sixty short stories.
0: Oh, prolific.
1: Quite. He's very renowned for his humor.
0: Mm.
1: Actually, there's a quote about that. Amongst
0: the people living in 1950s.
1: <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and 40s. And his many stories include Venus and the Seven Sexes, <laughs> The Liberation of Earth, and On Venus Have We Got a Rabbi? <laughs> what? The Encyclopedia of Science Fiction ranked William Tan as one of the genre's very few genuinely comedic, genuinely incisive writers' short fiction.
0: I would disagree. <laughs> Although, I'm not sure I could give examples of funnier science fiction writers.
1: Douglas Adams. Yeah. Number one. Definitely.
0: 100%.
1: This has been the Everett Book Club. You can visit us online at www.everettbookclub.com.
0: Or email us at EverettBookClub at Hotmail.com.
1: Visit us on Facebook or mostly visit us on Instagram.
0: Instagram. At Everett Book Club. And don't forget, Everett is spelled E-V-E-R-E-T-T.
1: If you or your organization are building an artificial intelligence, Marguerite and I are available to administer Turing tests.
0: Please note, there is no guarantee of accuracy, efficacy, or professionalism.
1: And if you know of any secondhand bookstores that deserve some love, email us, and we'll give them a shout-out. So, Marguerite.
0: Yes, Ruiz?
1: The Cat King is hosting some kind of event at Cat Palace tonight, and attendance is mandatory.
0: Did you see the dress code, though? If you're not wearing cat ears when you enter the palace, they'll staple some to your head.
1: And if you're not wearing a false tail, they'll, uh, arrange for, uh, inserting a tail, um...
0: Oh, man, are we accidentally attending a furry convention?
1: It's worse, because we're talking about 300 years of royal breeding. Hm.
0: I suppose one would say that's an oxymoron.
1: I feel like an oxymoron in these years. You look adorable. You look adorabler. It's true. It is
0: true. I look fabulous in fur.
1: Is that faux fur, Beau, or real fur?
0: Let's say faux.
1: That's the least controversial answer.
0: Ha <laughs>